The war in heaven mentioned in Revelation chapter 12 is almost never talked about today, and yet the aftershock of this war will affect every true Christian on the earth in one way or another in the near future. That is why we are going to analyze this war in heaven on today's edition of The End Time Show. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Dave Robbins. I'm with End Time Ministries. I do thank you for joining me on this edition of the End Time Show. In the near future, a spiritual war will occur in the heaven, resulting in the worst time of persecution the physical world will ever know. So we are going to feel the repercussions from the war and you're going to understand that before we get done with the program today. And it's going to result in the Great Tribulation. Many prophecies in Revelation 12 have been disputed or misinterpreted over the years. I've watched so many videos and read so many um, different uh, emails and different things from people and, you know, that's sending me stuff. And I thought, man, I've got to do some programming on this someday. For instance the identity of the woman with the 12 stars around her head, the timing of the war. Some people said it had occurred all the way back in the, in the Garden of Eden. The um, Satan's access to heaven still today, that's disputed by some. And then the 2,000 year span in the chapter, from one verse to another, it jumps 2,000 years. But if you miss that, then you're gonna be stuck. It will be very, very difficult for you to understand the war in heaven and the timing of it all in Revelation chapter 12. So we're going to get in this to this today because the results of this war will affect you and me. It is highly likely that this war will occur in our lifetime. So we want to understand it, right? And before we get off into that very quickly, let me mention first cup coffee. You know, you can imagine that all of us here are just kind of working around the clock who uh, keep up with all the different things, the war and the central bank digital currencies and everything going on. We're energized by our God-given purpose, and thankfully we're being fueled by First Cup Coffee. First Cup Coffee is not a woke entity, and they're not trying to uh, go around and, um, you know, change America into something that we don't want it to be, right? These guys are, it's a Christian-owned company, and it's from right here in the great state of Texas. They've got many, many different roasts. And it's kind of neat because many of their, their roasts are actually named after uh, a different piece of American history. So go to firstcup.com. I had a cup this morning. It's very good coffee. Uh, and all you coffee drinkers out there, you'll, you'll appreciate that. Go to firstcup.com. Use code endtime to get 10% off. If you subscribe, you'll get another 10% off. So go to firstcup.com, use code ENDTIME, and get that 10% off today. Now, when we're talking about the war in heaven, I want to start with the woman with 12 stars around her head. It, there is a huge misinterpretation of Scripture here by some 
a very large religious organization, let's just leave it at that, of who this woman with 12 stars around her head. I think many of you know that um, there are people that think that this is Mother Mary, but that is a misinterpretation of Scripture. And the prophecies found in Revelation 12, 1 through 2. The Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she is being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered. Now there's some symbolism here. And so there's some symbolism and, and then it becomes literal. And so we want to make sure we understand the difference in all of this because, again, man, I've heard so, seen so many DVDs and um, video, YouTube clips and people sending me emails about all kinds of different interpretations of Revelation 12 over the years. So let's see if we can understand this as we go down through here. The woman is, in Revelation 12 with 12 stars around her head is the nation of Israel. And the 12 stars symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. There's another picture that uses this same symbolism about Israel, and it's found all the way back in the Old Testament in Genesis 37, 9. It says, And he dreamed yet another dream. Now this is Joseph here. The Bible says, And he dreamed yet another dream, and told his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more, and behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. So, in Joseph's dream, the sun and the moon represent his father and mother, and the eleven stars were his eleven brothers. Well, if you add Joseph, then that equals the twelve tribes of Israel, right? So, from this scripture, we know for certain the woman with the sun and the moon and the twelve stars in Revelation chapter 12 is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And, it, and it's going to get a little bit more deep, detailed as we go down through the chapter here. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 2, Israel is travail, the, the woman with 12 stars, symbolic of Israel, is travailing to have a child. And John then reveals what happened next. He says, And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and seven crowns upon his heads, and his tail drew the third part of stars of heaven, and did cast them into the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which were ready to be delivered, and for to devour her child as soon as it was born. That's Revelation 12, verses 3 down through, I think, 4. So the dragon with seven heads and ten horns, that's Satan himself. And it tells us uh, that plainly later, it tells us that plainly later down in verse uh, Revelation 12, 9. The dragon stood before the woman, Israel, to devour the child that was about to be born. Now, the child that was going to be born was symbolic of Jesus Christ. And this account depicts Israel giving the world its Messiah. Now remember, again, some of this is symbolic, some of it's literal. There's not a physical woman with 12 stars around her head. That's symbolic. Okay? So Revelation 12, 5 
it foretells the birth of Jesus. The Bible says, And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God into his throne. So the man-child is Jesus Christ. If you, um, let's see, look, look back, what's, where's it at? Uh, Revelation 19, 15. It says that Jesus is the one who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And it's interesting that Satan attempted to kill Jesus at the time of his birth, but God preserved him. The man Christ Jesus was ultimately caught up to God and to his throne. Now, there's a question here that we need to answer. Did Satan try to kill Jesus as soon as he was born? The answer is absolutely yes, if you remember the story of Herod. So, what, what actually happened there? Well, Herod the Great attempted to kill Jesus as soon as he was born. You remember the story about the, the wise men who came from the east because they were told that the king of the Jews had been born. And, you know, they were following the star and everything, the, sto the whole story here. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, they went to Herod's palace. And they were thinking, well, surely he would know where the king of the Jews had been born. And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, when the, the Bible says, when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Well, why was he troubled? Well, because King Herod was the king of the Jews, right? And so he thought, well, hey, there's a child going to be born. It's threatening my kingdom. So the thought that a child was born to replace him, well, of course, it didn't make him very happy, right? So verse 4 says, And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded that they tell him where Christ should be born. So the chief priest answered and said that Christ, because of the prophecies in the Old Testament, I think it's Micah 5, 2, the chief priest answered and said that, hey, Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod, he's plotting this scheme, right? And he, Herod pretended that he too desired to worship the newborn king of the Jews. However, Herod did not want to worship him. He wanted to kill him. So Herod is plotting to kill Jesus in all of this. It's, it's really a horrific story. It's the most wonderful story on one hand, but it's a horrific story on the other. So after the wise men left Herod, Matthew chapter 2, verse 9 through 10 says, When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east, they went, it went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. So when the wise men found Jesus, they worshiped him. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, it records just this, it's an incredible scene. And the Bible says, And when they were come to, into the house, they saw the young child and Mary his mother, and they fell down. And they worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
and being warned of God in the dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. So you can see that God's hand is in all of this, but even though Herod is plotting to kill Jesus or the newborn Christ, the Messiah, he's plotting to kill him, God is warning them and said, no, you don't go back to Herod because he's seeking to kill uh, the child. You guys are going to go back another way. And so Herod's plot is foiled, and of course God helps them out. So I, I did bring up gold here, right? So really quick, let me mention uh, birch gold. And, you know, the world government, that's the, the different things that are going on, these enthusiasts are wanting to impose their digital currencies and their digital IDs. Uh, tomorrow I'll be going through some of that uh, 50 and 5 and a lot of different things that are going on with Bill Gates and the United Nations. We're going to hit that in tomorrow's program. But they're trying these uh, to get 50 countries to go fully digital in five years. And they are, I mean, they are pushing it and they're putting lots of money behind it. Well, a lot of these individuals, they could even allow officials, these central bank digital currencies, to prohibit you from purchasing certain products, easily freeze or seize part of your money. So in essence, it would enable the government to control your finances. So there are some concerned Americans that are diversifying their assets into physical gold. The central banks are buying up gold like there's no tomorrow, folks. And so a lot of people are diversifying their assets with the help of Birch Gold. If you want a physical asset held in like a tax-sheltered retirement account, go to birchgold.com slash endtime to get your free info kit on gold. A lot of people are doing that. You got to have a, a company that you can, that's very reputable. If you have an IRA or let's say a 401k that's been laying around forever, Birch Gold can help you convert that into an IRA in gold and you don't have to pay a penny out of pocket. So go to birchgold.com slash endtime and claim your free info kit on gold. Because if digital currencies and all these different things become a reality for you, you may want to have some gold, some hard assets to fall back on. Now, back to the, our prophecy here about the war in heaven. You remember that when Herod realized that his plot was foiled, right? I mean, he realized that the wise men, they were not going to return to disclose where they had found the Messiah. Well, of course, he had, he just, he couldn't leave it lie. And he didn't want anybody to threaten his throne and his rulership over Jerusalem. And all these Jews were saying that their Messiah had been born or this uh, anointed one. And so Herod began to plot a, a different way to, to kill Jesus because the, the wise men weren't going to help him out, so he had to take matters into his own hands, right? So Herod gave the order that all children two years old and down in Bethlehem that they should be killed. And again, it's a horrific story. If you understand, I mean, he was a, he was a tyrant. I mean, let's just a bloodthirsty, demonic type individual. So all of these events that fulfilled what was spoken by John in Revelation chapter 12, when he was told, see, he's given a vision here by God, and the vision is that the dragon 
stood before the woman, Israel, to devour. Or Israel would give us the Messiah. The dragon was to stand before the woman to devour her child as soon as he was born. But you got to understand kind of the backstory of what happened here, right? That's why when you're trying to understand these prophecies, you have to look at every verse that ties into this. If Look at it like this. If this is a, the, the Revelation 12 is a parenthetical chapter in the book of Revelation, an explanatory chapter. If you just went to Revelation 12, which is what a lot of people do, if you just went to Revelation 12 and said, okay, I'm going to try to understand Revelation 12, you're going to be stuck. It's going to be very hard for you to understand Revelation 12 without understanding some of the backstory in all of this. In other words, if you didn't understand the, the um, Genesis and the dream, the vision and the dream that Joseph had been given with his mother and his father, the sun, the moon, and the stars, then it would be virtually impossible for you to understand what happens here with the woman with 12 stars around her head. You could actually get into thinking that that was the Mother Mary or something else. And so I've said it a million times, and I'll probably say it a million more times before we hear the trumpet sound. If you're trying to understand prophecy, you've got to go to every single verse in the Bible that pertains to that topic. It's the same thing with the green horse in, or, or the four horsemen in Revelation chapter 6 and Zechariah chapter 6. Once you tie it all together, then you can say, oh my goodness, this, this is making sense here. It's like Revelation 13. That's a parenthetical chapter, and, but it is impossible to understand the world governing body, the federalization of nations, and who those nations are, in Revelation 13, unless you understand the writings of Daniel chapter 7. That's why none of the apostles could understand the writings of John or the writings of Daniel. Be, uh, because God told Daniel, close up and seal this book, it's for the people at the time of the end. So he gave the John the vision, but they couldn't understand it until the people of the time of the end, when those nations uh, were here on the earth and everything else would tie into it. Okay. So that's what we're doing here in Revelation chapter 12. We're trying to understand the war in heaven and the, um, the effects of that on the earth once that spiritual war happens. Because believe me, it's going to affect the entire earth, the results of that. And you're going to see that here in just a moment. So what happens here, and I want you to understand this, because this is of utmost importance when you're trying to figure this out. The prophecy is getting ready from one verse to another to jump 2,000 years, okay? So we have what happened back when Satan was trying to kill the Messiah when he was born. 2,000 years ago with Herod and the wise men and Jesus being born in Bethlehem. And then we're going to jump 2,000 years. We, and um, So basically what we've done is we've discussed the events of the first five verses in Revelation chapter 12. But look very closely here because we're going to suddenly skip 2,000 years to where we're at right now. And there are 2,000 years between Revelation chapter 5, uh, 12, verse 5, and Revelation 12, verse 6. And again, if you're trying to read it to where it's all going to happen back with Adam and Eve, or it's all going to happen 2,000 years ago, or you're going to be stuck here. You've got to understand the 2,000-year leap. Now, 
we're going from verse 5 to verse 6. The scripture says, and, um, and she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. That's Revelation 12, 5 through 6. So how do we know that God, because God is the one telling John what to write here, right? He's out on the Isle of Patmos, and he's given visions by God in Revelation 12. How, did, how do we know that God jumps 2,000 years between verses 5 and 6? Because verse 6 says that Satan will persecute the woman for 1,260 days. Now, when we see this number in the Bible, every time that I'm aware of, it always refers to the final three and one half years immediately preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ to the earth and the battle of Armageddon. In verse 6, we begin the final three and one half years to the battle of Armageddon and the second coming of Jesus Christ. You understand? We went from 2,000 years ago, an account of what happened then. Now we're talking about the final three and one half years to the second coming of Jesus Christ and the battle of Armageddon. And that's when the war in heaven is going to occur. At the time of the abomination of desolation, halfway through that final seven years, many things, many prophecies happen simultaneously at that three and a half year point. The Antichrist will stand in a rebuilt Jewish temple proclaiming to be God, and that right there is exactly what happens. It's the exact same time when the war in heaven happens. So the remainder of the chapter from verse 6 on in chapter 12 happens during the final three and one half years. The first five verses is 2,000 years ago. The remaining uh, from six on happens during the final three and one half years prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, once you get, that's, the, that's one of the keys that unlocks the whole chapter, really. And that's what really will help you understand what happens next, which is the war in heaven. And then we're now we're going to move into Revelation 12, verse 7 through 9. But very quickly, uh, let me mention Ready Pantry, because we're talking about world governing here. You say, well, hold on, the, the seven-headed, ten-horned beast in Revelation 13, that kind of sounds like the same thing as the seven-headed, ten-horned dragon in Revelation 12. Yeah, because the, the Bible says that the dragon in Revelation 13 gives that world governing body its seat, power, and its great authority. The world government is made in the image of Satan. That's why it says a seven-headed, ten-horned beast. And so it, it really helps. And we want you to understand these from back in the Old Testament writers all the way to the end of the New Testament, then you can say, oh, I, I, I got that. I understand what it is. It's really cool. So, Ready Pantry. You know, I, of, of things that we've seen over the last few years and, and articles and different things I'm seeing for the future, it's always nice to know that, would be nice to know, right? Because of what they're doing to our farmers and China and Bill Gates and all these guys buying up farmland and trying to grow food in Petri dishes and in laboratories. Um, it would be nice to believe that the grocery stores are always going to be there, right? 
Uh, and, but hey, we've seen that supply chains can quickly collapse, food supplies can diminish. I mean, uh, you got to pray for the best, but prepare for the worst, right? I mean, what if there was a way that you can have an affordable three-month emergency supply of food? And of course, there is. The readypantry.com slash endtime. It offers amazing 25-year shelf-stable food for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert. And not to mention, you know, a peace of mind. Just think about it. When everybody's charging the grocery store, imagine if you have something to fall back on in your pantry. I mean, think about uh, any kind of emergency, a power outage, hurricanes, grid collapses, uh, bank rolling blackouts, even a, a civil war possibly. So Ready Pantry, it's an American-based company. All the products are sourced right here in America. And so you're not going to be disappointed. There's many long-term food stores companies that are selling stuff that have been on their warehouses forever. But Ready Pantry is delivering the freshest products that was packaged within the last couple months. And that's delivered to your home. So Ready Pantry offers discounts up to 20% off for 3 to 12 month supplies. So go to readypantry.com slash endtime. Use code endtime and save an additional 10% off, uh, off on your order and free shipping on all orders. And you can stock your pantry now with buy now, pay later options that are available at checkout by going to readypantry.com slash endtime. And I know that I have uh, some of the 25-year food. I'm not a prepper. Uh, I haven't, you know, I don't have a cave somewhere in Colorado where I'm going to go hide out and, you know, try to protect all my food. And that, I'm not, that's not me. However, for any type of catastrophe, there's nothing wrong with having a flashlight and a, you know, some extra food stored up and things like there's nothing wrong with any of that. What if my lights go out for a week? And uh, the, I, there was a while back, um, I just moved into a house about a year ago. And they told me that the, the electricity went off for four solid days during a cold front here a couple years ago. Four days. No electricity. And so, you know, what do I do? Do I, you know, there's any kind, any kind of catastrophe. There's nothing wrong with having some food stored up, especially something that's not in your fridge uh, that could spoil. There's 25-year food. You add water to it, and uh, I could... I could uh, start a fire out in my smoker, and boom, me and my wife could eat. And some of my neighbors if they didn't have anything. So, Ready Pantry is certainly something to consider. All right, now, coming up to a break here, I'm, we're going to get straight back into the war in heaven. We're going to go right off into it, Revelation chapter 12, verse 7 through 9. The reason I wanted to do this today is because of there's a lot of, there's a lot of interpretations of this. When it happened, and who the woman with 12 stars is, and a lot of people that don't have a clue about the 2,000-year leap between verse 5 and 6. I mean, there's a lot, of, a lot of things going on with Revelation chapter 12. But once you walk down through here and understand a lot of this stuff, man, it really opens up the book of Revelation. All the chapters in Revelation are awesome. And once you, and the book of Revelation is supposed to be able to be understood, right? That's why it's in the Bible. of the End Time Show, you're getting early access to Christmas deals starting right now. Do you remember that feeling you had as a kid during the holidays? What experiences and gifts would you receive this year? 
Well, the atmosphere at End Time is nearly the same. We're excited because these deals are now available through the end of 2023. Why are we so thrilled? Because we know these resources transform lives and that's even more fun than Christmas, especially in these tough times. For the remainder of 2023, you can get deals like a special VIP group video call with Dave Robbins when you get Understanding the End Time. End Time Plus subscription for 50% off, or my personal favorite, a $10 and under sale for almost 100 different products featuring Irvin Baxter, Dave Robbins, and more. Go to endtime.com slash deals for a full catalog of items. You can also call 800-END-TIME. Hurry, supplies are limited. Go to endtime.com slash deals today. What if you could understand Bible prophecy? Dave Robbins, the host of the End Time Show's TV and radio programs, is holding a free prophecy conference near you. Gain peace and understanding about what the Bible says concerning End Time prophecy. Call 1-800-END-TIME or go to endtime.com slash events to see when Dave will be in a location near you. Okay, welcome back everybody. And you know, this war in heaven, it's a spiritual battle, but we will feel the physical effects of this war. And it's just in the very near future. I mean, it is highly likely that we will experience this in our lifetime. Should the Lord tarry, the rapture, the rapture uh, holds off and different things, uh, we will experience, uh, in my opinion, I should say, uh, it's highly likely that we will experience this in our lifetime. So let's talk about the war in heaven. We're going to Revelation chapter 12. We're going to verse 7 through 9. And it says this, And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. Yes, Satan still has access to heaven today. You're going to know that as we go through here. The Bible says that there was a war and that Satan prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. The very key statement right there. Because up until this point, he has access to heaven. But there will come a time in the future, the very near future, when he doesn't have access to heaven anymore. Did you know Satan still has access to heaven? Say, whoa, 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 Dave, you just threw me a big curveball. Well, I'm just going through scripture here and I want you to understand this. The Bible says, and the dragon was cast out. This is at the time of the war. The dragon's defeated. He's cast out that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceives the whole world. And he was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. There's no question concerning the identity of the dragon. This verse calls the dragon that, it, that he is that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Satan attempts three and one half years. Remember, in verse six, we moved into the final three and one half years, right? It's very important that you know that. So, what happens here, there's three and a half years left when this war takes place. Satan attempts three and a half years before Armageddon and the second coming to overthrow God in heaven. And this is an angelic war which happens when Michael and his angels are, and the leading armies of heaven, they war, make war against Satan and his angels. 
You say, well, why in the world would Satan attempt to overthrow God? Because he the Bible says, because he knows his time is short. He realizes that he's getting ready to go to the bottomless pit for three and one half years. You think Satan doesn't know the Word of God? Now, he's an unbeliever. And so he's going to actually think that he can overthrow God. What a futile effort. I mean, that's senseless. Satan doesn't even begin to be a blip on God's screen, right? There's no comparison. But he's an unbeliever, so he's actually going to try to overthrow God. And he's going to say, hey, there's, I don't have much time left. Why not go for broke? And he launches his last-ditch effort to avoid the bottomless pit. So the, the Bible says in Revelation 17 that the um, Antichrist and his world-governing armies will actually fight against the Lamb. When, they come, when, when Jesus Christ comes back, the Bible says he's going to actually, they're going to actually fight against him. It's, it's total absurdity. But in the war in heaven, Satan's defeated. His punishment for his, this ultimate act of rebellion is to be banished from ever appearing in heaven before God again. Up until that time, Satan has been allowed to appear before God. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Uh, if you, so when it talks about Satan, the accuser of the brethren, what in the world does that mean? Well, there's an example of this that's found all the way back in the Old Testament. Remember in the days of Job. Job chapter 1. The Bible says, Satan appeared before God, and uh, God asked him, Satan, what have you been doing? And he said that he had been walking to and fro, uh, seeking whom he may devour, right? I mean, that's the saying. Well, God asked him if he had considered his servant Job. God brought up Job to Satan. How would you like to be? Did you ever feel like you're in Job's position? Man, everything's happening all at once. Well, maybe there's a reason for that. So, Satan's, God said, what have you been doing? And he said, well, God said, well, have you been considering my servant Job? And Satan answered and he said, well, yeah, but you've got a hedge around him and I can't get to him. I'd love to do stuff to him because I'm sick of him. I don't like him. And you blessed him so much that, and that's the reason that he serves you. And he would not serve you if he didn't have all that wonderful blessings that you had given him. And if you'll take the hedge down, I'll make him curse you to your face. Now, that's Job uh, chapter 1, verse 7 through 12. So we know the rest of the story, how Job endured his trials. God took the hedge of protection down. Job endure, endured his um, trials and tribulations. And yet he remained steadfast in his love for God. So, Satan has been the accuser of the brethren from the beginning of the human race and will continue until three and one half years before the Battle of Armageddon. Revelation chapter uh, 12 verse 10 then goes on to say, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them 
before our God day and night. So Satan's main job is to accuse you and me and to bring guilt and condemnation on us. He's been doing this for 6,000 years now, hasn't he? So, however, he's going to be cast down and confined to the earth for that final three and one half years. Now, you say, wow, well, Satan's going to overtake us. Uh, what are we going to do? You know what? You can overcome Satan. During the 6,000 years of human history, what happened to God's people under the heat of this accuser, Satan himself? The Bible says, and they overcome him. This would be Revelation 12, 11. They overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We have two weapons, a defensive weapon and an offensive weapon. And the blood is our defensive weapon. There's nothing Satan can inflict upon you and me that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot eradicate. That's why, you know, somebody would say, well, Dave, you don't know what I've done. I can't go to church. The roof will fall in. You know what? I've been going to church for a very, very long time, and I've never seen the roof fall in because somebody walked in. That's total, utter nonsense, and that's a lie from Satan. And then somebody who has lived for God for a while but then backslid away, they'll say, Dave, but God doesn't love me anymore. Uh, you know, Satan's got me all twisted up in my mind, blah, blah, blah. Okay, that's a lie from Satan. Don't let Satan twist that up. The blood of Jesus Christ still works for anybody who's backslid. So there's no excuse. There's nothing that Satan can inflict upon you that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot eradicate. Man, are you thankful for that? I mean, this is Thanksgiving week. We've got a million things to be thankful for. We'll probably do a thankful a Thanksgiving uh, program on Wednesday. But I'm telling you what, that right there is one of the things I am most thankful for in my entire life, the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the blood of Jesus is the cure for all sin and all things that are satanic in our lives. You can overcome Satan by the blood of the Lamb. When he places, when he places our sins under the blood, they are banished and gone forever. So, the Bible says they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb and also by the word of their testimony. Our testimony is our offensive weapon. This is how we go forth and conquer Satan. This is, this is the way that we defeat him, bringing others out of his kingdom and into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. When we witness to somebody about what Jesus did for us, then this lets them know, well, hey, if he did it for you, and I know you are a heathen, then he can do it for me too, right? So Satan's number one tool against God's people is guilt. Once you get under guilt, oh, it becomes a drudge to go to church and to pray, and to, you don't want to just even think about it, right? Because you're under guilt. I've known people in all walks of a church life, even some pastors and pastor's wives, that lived under guilt for something they did 25 years ago. And Satan just beats them over the head with it every day. You did this 20 years ago. You did this 25 years ago. Folks, they overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says the, His blood cleanseth us, which means it's ongoing. If, you, if you've done something, everybody's done something. There's not one person 
who hadn't made a mistake post their born-again experience. Repent, get up, and keep on trucking. And don't let Satan beat you up over the head with that anymore. Okay, man, we gotta, we're supposed to be doing prophecy here today. But, I mean, I, I've seen so many, I've had friends of mine that lived under guilt. And it's like, what are you doing? Don't you understand what the blood of Jesus Christ has done? The, that's what repentance is for. The Bible says he's just to forgive you. Okay, moving on. Phew. Uh, we could talk about repentance for a while because some people really don't understand the power of living a repentant life. Okay. So, our defensive weapon is the blood of the Lamb, and our offensive weapon is the word of our testimony. We've got to get through Revelation 12 today, guys. So, the next passage is key to understanding, the book, to understanding Revelation. After verse 10, it declares... Glory to him that sits on the throne, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. Okay, now let's go to verse 12. It says, therefore, because the accuser of the brethren is cast down, hey, you guys, rejoice you that are in heaven, and you that dwell therein, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth. This is where it comes from being spiritual. Now it's going to get down to physical. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knows that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. That's Revelation 12, 12 through 13. Who's the woman that brought forth the man-child? That's Israel. So Israel is going to feel the physical effects of Satan being confined to the earth. When Satan's confined to the earth, he's going to launch the great tribulation against God's people. The great tribulation is the wrath of Satan. And so many people teach the great tribulation is the wrath of God. However, Revelation 12, 12 clearly tells us that the great tribulation is the wrath of Satan. Satan comes down to the earth having great wrath, knowing that he hath but a short time. So Satan's going to be confined to the earth. He knows he only has three and a half years left. He's going to do his best to wreak havoc among God's most treasured creation, the human race. So what's he do? Number one, the Bible says he persecutes the nation of Israel. Satan will persecute the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, and we're already seeing the rapid rise of anti-Semitism throughout our world even today. They say that the Jews are more afraid for their lives globally because of anti-Semitism than at any time in history. I said globally. Not in Europe during World War II, but globally at any time in history. We can see precursors being set up for the Great Tribulation, right? So, it's very important, right, that we understand Revelation chapter 12, the war in heaven, because we will feel the physical effects of that spiritual war that will occur in the near future. A voice spoke to me and said, I've got something I want to show you. I was so sure God had talked to me. And I was stunned by what I saw. A direct fulfillment of this over 2,500-year-old prophecy. The United States will stand with Israel. Why haven't I ever seen this before? One-third of humanity will die. What do these beasts symbolize? The lion, the bear, the leopard. 
The combined beast from Revelation 13 represents the end time government of the Antichrist. Understanding the end time. Now streaming on End Time Plus and available to order at endtime.com slash UET. Go to endtime.com slash UET or call 800 End Time. They that understand what is taking place will instruct many. Except a man is born again, he can enter or see the kingdom of God. I don't care what label you've been given or what label you've given yourself. You are essential. You still matter. This is a journey, and when we get to the other side of that, that's where our prize is. That's where our reward is. End time is not going anywhere. Okay, everybody, so when Satan is bound to the earth, the Bible says he persecutes the woman, which is Israel. However, Revelation 12, 14 says Israel is going to have protection from Satan or from the world governing body. Remember, the seven-headed, ten-horned beast, which is driven by Satan himself, Satan's physical kingdom here on the earth, the world government. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 14, and to the woman, Israel, were given two wings of a great eagle, the United States, that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for a time, times, and half a time from the face of the serpent. There it is, that three and one half year period again, verse 6 and verse 14. So it's telling you where we're at on the timeline. Notice that Israel's going to fly into her place. Where's Israel's place? There are all kinds of theories. One theory says the Jews are going to flee into Petra which is in southern Jordan. Many believe that they are going to go there and hide. However, the only people who believe this theory are those who have never been to Petra. I've been to Petra, and there are approximately a thousand tourists who visit there every day. And it, ha it really, all the way down in there, has a maximum population of about 800 people. I mean, it used to be a marvelous fortress back in biblical times, because just a few people could hold off of basically an army because it was just big valley, a big like a, a big uh, cavern that you walk down. But today it's a death trap because there are rock walls on every side that go up about 300 feet. There's one place where you can almost touch both walls. So one bomb in the middle of all that would kill everyone there. And there is an entrance into Petra called the Wadi, which is about, a, I'm going to say a mile, mile and a half long. At some points, man, it's only like, what, 12 feet wide, very, very small. And a handful of men could withstand an, an entire army because they simply had to bottle them up in there and then pick them off as they attempted to pass through or throw rocks down on them. Israel's place is not going to be in Petra. There is no scriptural basis for that whatsoever. The Bible actually says in Zechariah, that Israel 
will be fighting in Jerusalem. Uh, I'm sorry, that Judah, the people that are living out in the West Bank now, Judah, that they will be fighting in Jerusalem during the Battle of Armageddon. So they're not going to be hiding away down in Petra somewhere. Okay? Israel's place is the promised land. Where is Israel's place? Found in Genesis 15, 18. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto the seed, unto thy seed, Abram, have I given this land. From the river of Egypt all the way up to the great river, the, the river Euphrates. God made a covenant with Abram. The land on which he dwelled would be his and his descendants through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob after him forever. Abraham was in Israel at that time God gave him the promise. He was in the area of uh, Beersheba. It's about uh, 40 miles south of Jerusalem. And this is Israel's place. It's Israel's promised land. So what did the Bible mean when it says the woman would be given two wings of a great eagle? Well, of course, there's another nation on the earth today whose recognized symbol is the eagle. This nation happens to be Israel's best friend, the United States. I mean, we've used our military might to protect Israel from our enemies. We're doing it now, even though President Biden is giving money to Iran to help fund what's going on, which is, I don't even know the amount of utter nonsense that is. It's like he's almost wanting to push us into a war funding both sides. Uh, have you ever heard about that in history? Wow, we could go into some bankers' wars at that point, but we'll move on. It's also repeatedly used, the United States has, its veto power on the UN Security Council to protect Israel from the hatred of the United Nations. So, even, even under the Biden administration, we've used our veto power on the UN Security Council to protect Israel. And so, it appears that what we may do in the future, unless we lose our UN Security Council veto power under the reign of the Antichrist, I was just thinking about this this morning, that I don't see there, how there's any way that we could continue to have our UN Security Council veto power if the Antichrist is lording over the world governing body. So we'll have to see how all that plays out. But the Antichrist makes war against the saints as well. Satan is going to persecute Israel, but the Bible also says that he persecutes those that have the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is the true church of Jesus Christ on the earth today. I mean, what does the phrase mean uh, when it says um, time, times, and half a time? What does that mean? Well, it's used several times in Scripture. One time, uh, one time uh, a time is a year. Times is two years, and half a time is half a year. Daniel 7.25 states that the Antichrist will make war against the saints for a time, times, and half a time, until the Ancient of Days comes. So, it is a picture of the Great Tribulation and the three and one half years right before the second coming of Jesus Christ. How do we know it's three and a half years? Because the exact same prophecy is given back in... Revelation 13, 5, which says the Antichrist will have power to continue 42 months. So instead of using the time, times, and half a time, or the 1260 days, which was like um, in the, the Revelation 12, 6, or in Revelation chapter 11, um, the duration of the length of the, the uh, ministry of the two witnesses, it's, just, it's all the same time period. Revelation 13.5 uses the 42 months. 
So it's all three and one half years. Revelation 13, 7 says he makes war against the saints and overcomes them during that time period. So it's absolute proof the Great Tribulation is 42 months or three and one half years. Now, Satan is also going to try to destroy Israel. And it's, if you look in Revelation 12, 15, the Bible says, And the serpent cast out his uh, mouth, out of his mouth, water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. So the chapter is written in symbolic language, and you can tell that by now. So what are the, what are the waters symbolized? Well, to understand that, you've got to go to Revelation 17, 15 in the prophecy of the mother of harlots and all her daughters, one of those six specific clues. Revelation 17, 15 reveals what the waters means. Uh, it says, And he said unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the whore, or the mother of harlots and all her daughters sits, are, or the mother of harlots sits, I should say, are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So in, in Revelation 17, it, the prophecy of the waters represents the multitudes of people. It appears to mean the same thing in Revelation 12, 15. The Bible says that God will fight for Jerusalem through though all the nations of the earth be gathered against it. This is referring to the time of the battle of Armageddon, when Satan will come down with his world-governing armies, driving them, the Antichrist, uh, to come against Israel. Zechariah 14, 2 says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. These prophecies will be fulfilled at the end of the three and one half years. And then, many of you know about the great earthquake, uh, Revelation 12, 16. It says that it will happen, uh, or it's that Revelation 12, 16 actually tells us what will happen when Satan comes down against Israel like a flood. The Bible says that the earth helped the, um, helped the woman, and the earth opened up her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. So could the earth open up, referring, be referring to an earthquake prophesied back in Revelation eleven thirteen. The Bible says, um, at the same hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and the earthquake, were, there were slain men 7,000, and the remnant were affrighted and gave glory to God of heaven. So, this same earthquake is prophesied back in Zechariah 14.4. The Bible says, and, when his feet, um, and his feet shall stand in that day on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west, and there shall be a great valley. And half of the mountain shall remove towards the north, half towards the south. So there's a, the question is, could this be the earth opening up to help Israel? Could this be the earthquake where 7,000 people die? It certainly seems to be a very strong possibility, right? So Satan's war will go from being a spiritual war in heaven to a, a physical war against the Jews and the true church, the true church of Jesus Christ, the true Christians. Remember, Jesus said in Matthew 24, Take heed that no man deceive you. Many will come in my name and deceive many. There will be people in the end time that say, Hey, I'm a Christian. Look at me. And let me show you the way to be saved. But they're going to be teaching a deceptive message. 
Okay? So I'm not saying everybody that claims to be a Christian will make it. That's a very important statement. Only those that are adhering to the Word of God. I know people that claim to be Christians that are living just as absolute. It's unreal. And so, just because you say, I'm a Christian, that doesn't mean you're a Christian. I know of churches that say they're a Christian church, but wow, the way that they teach and live and the things they condone, whoo, that some of them are diametrically opposed to the Word of God. So, Satan is going to persecute the Jews and the true church because churches that are caught up into the world religious system, Satan's not going to, why would Satan persecute them? They're living for him and have, and have pledged obedience to the Antichrist. Why would he persecute them? He's going to persecute those who will not comply with the edicts of the Antichrist and he's going to persecute the Jews because look at how the international community is already diametrically opposed to, to Israel and is as anti-Semitic as it gets, even to the point where some of them are trying to condone what is going on down there with and are pro-Hamas rather than um, pro-Israel. And so you can kind of see some of the seeds being sown for some of this stuff coming in the future. I would say my number one message today is make sure you're in the true church of Jesus Christ. Make sure you understand the Bible. And if you're, you're, if you're going to a church that is doing things that's diametrically opposed to the Word of God, you're going to have to leave that. The Bible says in the last days, uh, Revelation 18, 4, Come out of her, my people, that you be not a partaker of her plagues and of her sins. You don't want to be a part of a false church in the end time. Make sure that you are going to a church that teaches the absolute truth of the Word of God, because that is what's going to get you to heaven, adhering to those teachings. So, God bless you all. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to getting back with you tomorrow on the End Time Show.